Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, I have a very special guest. So um, with us this week is Stephen Gentles. He recently completed his PhD, maybe not recently, he's seven years ago, in health research methodology at McMaster University. His thesis was a qualitative study of how parents of children with autism navigate information. I would love to say that's what we're going to talk about, but we're not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is a review article that he spent many, many hours compiling along with many other researchers looking at trajectories. So trajectories were, and I'll let him describe it more, studies which included three or more times that they evaluated or saw or touched base with a particular individual with autism and their family members. So what's important about this is number one, these studies are so incredibly rare and yet they're so incredibly helpful to understand predictors of outcome as well as different groups or phenotypes and how different groups group together. But no one's really done kind of like a deep dive in what's been done already, what's missing, and how groups are evaluating or analyzing the data. So Dr. Gentles actually did do this study. So I'm gonna let him take over. I have a few questions for him about the study. But first, um, tell us what interested you in this topic. Uh, so I started this review as a, as a postdoc uh, after finishing my PhD thesis, uh, and I was working with Stelios Georgiadis at McMaster University, which is in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, so we were interested in having more of an awareness of what trajectory work had ever been done, um, just to give us background to inform this new trajectory cohort study that was uh, being started at McMaster University called the Pediatric Autism Research Collaborative, or PARC study. Um, which has since expanded to include a number of sites uh, in Canada. Um, so the review turned out to be a, a lot of work. Uh, so we expanded the review team um, to include Dr. Connor Kearns at University of British Columbia and three of her trainees who are kind of the next three on the authorship line after me. Um, so another factor kind of on a more personal level for choosing to do this review was this kind of long-term interest I've had in making research knowledge more useful and more fully utilized. Um, so for example, while some of some of us on the park team were already aware that a number of trajectory studies um, you know had been published because colleagues published them or they were frequently cited in other papers, there were gaps in our knowledge. So um, there were definitely some trajectory studies we weren't aware of, and this these lesser known studies were were going unused, um, kind of in for our knowledge in in this case, um, and that also meant that you know we had a bit of an imbalanced, biased understanding of of the trajectory studies in our area as a result. Um, so the only way to unearth all published research. And to make better use of it is to do a comprehensive review uh, with a systematic search and screening process. And that's you're referring to as a systematic review, right? Yeah. So yeah. can you describe what is a systematic review 
and what is a trajectory study or how you you define a trajectory study. Um, because I know that they're so important, but the audience may not know what exactly it is and then also why they contribute so heavily to our understanding of autism. Yeah, maybe I'll start with the kind of description that I give for what a trajectory study is. Um, so because those were the types of studies that were included in our review. Um, so trajectory studies involve measuring, as you kind of mentioned at the beginning, developmental or health-related outcomes at three or more time points, as opposed to measuring them at just two, two time points, um, like a more typical cohort study does. So more time points allows you to characterize not just one rate of change, but um, characterize the shape or changes in the rate of change of something over time. Um, so you can think of turning points in, in development, um, or if it's a, a slope, an elbow in the slope where it'll change, change, uh, change the, the angle a bit. Um, so from a parent's perspective, this might be noticed as accelerations, plateaus, or slowdowns in a child's development. Um, and in our, our review, we focused on trajectory studies um, just of child development up to age 18. So another review on trajectory studies in autistic adult age ranges would, would um, also be very useful and, and warranted, but that's, we didn't cover that. So now onto the type of systematic review that we did, um, which is called a scoping review. So the purpose of scoping reviews, um, so they're like systematic reviews in that they involve a systematic search and screening process, um, but their purpose is different. So the, the aim is to identify and describe or characterize the breadth of public, published research in an area. Um, so a difference from classic systematic reviews where, where the aim is to summarize the findings of research on a more specific research question, scoping reviews actually aren't supposed to even summarize findings. Rather, they just uh, characterize um, the research aspects of the research that's been done, such, such as the methods, the population studied, um, or the outcomes studied. Um, so it's important to know that we didn't summarize the findings of trajectory research in, in autistic children in this review. So, yeah, I mean, to do that, you know, the outcomes of children, there are so many different types of outcomes. And to better understand how those outcomes are defined or how you can predict them, you kind of need to know how the, what scientists are doing in the area to begin with. Um, so why are trajectories, I mean, I just kind of said it, but why are looking at trajectories important? So you mentioned the other types of studies, which are measuring two points in time or even one point in time. Why is it important to look at multiple points in a person's life? So one of the kind of hoped for uses of trajectory research is to provide answers to questions like uh, what caregivers might ask. So what will my child be like as they get older? Um, so you can think of things like language development, for example, um, and how important that would be uh, to, to a parent. 
in our review, we looked at research that followed any outcome um, and we summarized what research is available specifically for the top 10 types of outcomes that have been studied um, in which are kind of shown in 10 figures that appear in, in the paper. But there are numerous other outcomes that, that trajectory research has looked at. Knowing that there's a lot of different things to look at, what was the focus of your review of this trajectory research? So the purpose of this review was to identify and summarize the published breadth of research that uses a trajectory study design, so three or more time points, to look at development in children up to age 18 diagnosed with autism. Uh, we also characterize the methodological characteristics of trajectory studies, including the many different statistical approaches used. And one of the things you did in this study, which, which should be done more, um, but I wanna make sure it's highlighted here, is that you involved members of the community in figuring out what should be done and then how it should be uh, described in the paper. So tell us a little bit about that process because I want more and more people to do this, but they need more and more examples of how it's been done. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, involving the communities is getting to be a big, a big thing in, in research and health researchers are recognizing it to be more important for many different study designs. So primary research as well as systematic reviews and um, it's been actually been a strong recommendation in scoping review methods um, since the beginning. So what we did was, was pretty simple. We invited and paid one autistic adult and one caregiver to advise us on the research. So specifically, they advised us on the importance of different outcomes that we were considering to looking at um, when we were at the method stage, and then, they provided interpretations of the results when the review was complete um, and we were at the reporting stage. And, and their interpretations were worked into the paper as a pretty important part of the discussion. Um, so it wasn't the furthest you could go in terms of community engagement, but it was definitely a concretely useful part of the study. And it also makes it easier to say, you know, what is of interest to the community, right? Because if they helped design the study and they helped with the reporting of the study, while these the individuals are not everyone in the community, um, they do represent two opinions and two or several perspectives. They represent several perspectives of people in the community and what they're interested in. Exactly. So let's talk about the paper itself and then also what it found. So tell us a little bit about what is out there in the literature. So how many studies did you start out with? How many studies did you end up with? Um, let's start there. Yeah, we ended up reviewing 103 included studies published anytime to May of 2021. Um, the first trajectory study was um, in autistic children was published in 2006. Um, and many different outcome domains have been studied, as I as I said. We didn't count, count but rather um, just focused on the on kind of producing graphs that summarize the 10 most studied outcomes. 
Um, and the biggest two are adaptive behavior functioning and autism symptom severity. Um, both of those uh, in turn have their own subdomains like in the measures that are used to, to assess them um, and their trajectories have, have been studied. So for adaptive functioning, for example, there's social functioning, communication and daily living skills. Um, and for symptom severity, uh, the other one, the subdomain that we looked at was restrictive and repetitive behaviors, but there were, there were others. Um, and then in terms of age, um, uh, there's a bit of variation in what ages have been studied for the different outcome domains, but as a as a kind of broad generalization, the younger child ages have more, tend to have more studies and higher density of time points um, that that were assessed compared to the uh, adolescent or teenage age years. Um, so some outcome domains had more noticeable age gaps where more research might be warranted. Um, so, for example, only two studies um, of autism symptom severity had time points beyond age age 12, um, and there are other other kind of gaps like that are, that are highlighted in the in the review. That sounds about right. <laughs> that there's a lot in younger children and not so many in in older children. Um, why do you think adaptive behavior was is so commonly studied? Like what is it about adaptive behavior that makes it such a popular um, or a, a, a sought out outcome? Is it because in that adaptive behavior, there's, you know, you can look at social communication, you can look at, you know, strength-based approaches and, and how they integrate into daily living. Um, why do you think that adaptive behavior is such a, a, a well-studied construct? Um, I think it might might be partly uh due to you know attention to to function uh which is i think a worthwhile thing um from from all perspectives to be uh assessing so what's used to measure adaptive functioning is the vineland um adaptive behavior scales and there is a version one and the version two and it has a composite measure which brings together the the different subdomains and what I've uh, kind of read is that um, in autism, the subdomains go in, can go in different directions, meaning that that composite measure doesn't necessarily provide, a, isn't, it's not necessarily good to use a composite measure for, to measure things that, that aren't coherent, don't go in the same direction, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, so what what people are doing is 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 actually doing trajectory studies of of the the different composites. So um, you know social communication, um, daily living skills, and their motor is another one. But there weren't there weren't so many trajectory studies of of motor. But um, I think those individual domains are 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 pretty relevant, um, and they were, and our our stakeholders also found them relevant mm. from a parent and a uh, autistic perspective as yeah, opposed to yeah, some of the other outcome domains. That's good to know. And I mean, I think it's good to know, not just from a research perspective, but also this is what we know the most about, right? 
Um, so you also included some information uh, or some analysis about the statistical methods that were used. Can you tell us why this was important? So yeah, there's a wide range of different statistical methods and, and terminology um, that's been used um, in trajectory studies, which can make this kind of research hard to sort out and, and understand, um, especially if you're not a statist statistician. We've, so we found, for example, 35 different terms um, for the different types of analysis methods that have been used. Um, and to that end, we, we included a table that categorizes um, these terms into um, basically two major appro approaches that um, you can use in, in tra trajectory studies. So the, the, two, the first one um, is growth curve modeling approaches. And I won't get into the statistics too much, don't worry. Um, um, but, and then the other one is, I'll just say it is, is group-based group approaches. So growth curve modeling approaches such as multi-level modeling or MLM, and I say the acronyms because um, sometimes people recognize those more, more than, than the full name. Um, they're used, um, they're perhaps the older approach um, and, and it's sometimes called the variable centered methods. Um, that usually provide a model in terms of slopes and intercepts, if people are familiar with kind of regression. Um, whereas group-based approaches um, are considered more person-centered because they estimate multiple distinct trajectories um, of latent clusters or subgroups within a cohort population. So um, that, in a, to kind of uh, say it again, um, growth curve modeling approaches give you one estimate of a trajectory for the cohort. Group-based approaches go a bit further by showing that multiple different types of trajectories are possible for a population. Um, so overall, I think characterizing the range of statistical approaches that have been used um, could provide a useful kind of foundation or information starting point for further developing methodological standards for traje trajectory research. Um, so that's why we put that in. What are the main take home messages? So someone that's reading this paper and uh, wants to know what does this mean for me? What would you tell them? Yeah, so because this review um, provides such a wide range of different information, um, one way to kind of talk, bring it all together is, is for me to say how I think this paper can be useful um, or how it can be used. So one way to think of it is like the index of a book, um, except um, this review is an index to the trajectory research literature that's ever been published out there. So it, it shows the reader where to find trajectory studies that they might be interested in. So if you're a parent or other caregiver who wants to know where to find all the research literature that'll tell you what trajectories to expect in social, social functioning, for example, um, you look for the papers listed in, in figure four. Um, this review can also help people see if there's enough studies available to do more of a dedicated systematic review 
um, that actually pools or synthesizes the findings on a specific outcome. So for example, are there enough studies for a meta-analysis of symptom severity? So then you go to figure seven and, and see if there's enough research to maybe do some, do some kind of pooling analysis. Um, or another possibility is if you're a researcher planning a trajectory study yourself, um, let's say on, on mental health, and you want to know what measures have been used in previous trajectory studies of this outcome, uh, then you go to figures 9 and 10, the intern internalizing and externalizing behaviors, because um, all the figures in, in the paper contain information about the measures that have been used to assess an outcome. And then finally, if you want to know the search terms, say for statistical methods used in trajectory research, table one would give you an authoritative kind of comprehensive source for that. So I see this paper functioning as a comprehensive resource guide or map to the published trajectory research in autistic children. I think it's also important in trajectories that there are different trajectories, right? So I'm thinking of Kathy Lord's study, and I'm sure you included it. I just don't know what the year was off the top of my head, but she showed and she's shown it since then that there are kids that start out um, uh, who are impaired, but they gradually improve their autistic behavior or their autistic behavior alleviates a little bit over time. Um, and that could be within specific domains. They could get better socially um, or they could show less restrictive and repetitive behaviors. Um, and there are those that start off um, pretty, pretty, um, those, that, those that start off kind of with low severity and their severity gets worse over time. And then there are some that stay stable over time. So looking at those particular points at which those behaviors change or whether specifically if they get worse and they devolve into things like, you know, if a hand flapping devolves into something like a self-injury, knowing about when that happens allows for specific supports to be given at those particular times, right? So if you know about what time some of these behaviors change, not, you know, change in a, in a bad way, then you can provide specific supports and document that this is a thing and that, you know, the clinician's not going crazy, the parent's not going crazy, and that this is a real thing and needs, and this child needs help. So um, I think that there's multiple ways that trajectory studies could be used. I think maybe I'm going off a little bad because I'm very, very committed to this sort of research. And um, unfortunately, it's not funded. Um, funders look at it as being, this is going to take you 15 years, not this is going to take you two years or three years. This is going to take you 10 to 15 years. And so they tend to shy away. So this is a really important contribution. And thank you for all the work that you did with this, because this is many, many hours and it was a labor of love. Well, thank you very much for the chance to share. Thank you.